Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Good morning, Renewal Church of Chicago. My name is Pastor Steve, and I have the privilege of opening the scriptures with you this morning. If you would, go ahead and do me a favor and turn to Acts chapter 2. If you're in the New Testament or the newer portions of the scripture, uh, you'll see Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, and John, and then you'll come to the book of Acts. And uh, as you're turning there to Acts chapter 2, we're continuing our series Uh, that is centered around the fundamentals of who we are as a church, Renewal Church of Chicago. These are some pillar things that speak to the culture and DNA of who we want to be and things that will always be a significant part of uh, our community. And so today I have the privilege of talking about uh, just that, about community and the importance of community and discipleship. And so when you've got Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, go on and do me a favor. I know I can't hear you, but just shout right there in your living room. I got it. Amen. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47 reads this way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miracles were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The very words of Scripture. Amen. Many people know the name William Wilberforce. He was actually uh, the man who was primarily uh, recognized for ending slavery in England. Uh, And yet, if you were to look into his life, you would realize very quickly that he didn't operate on his own. As a matter of fact, he was a part of a group called the Clapham Sect. The Clapham Sect. And the Clapham Sect was a, a group of followers of Jesus who uh, were deeply involved in one another's lives. And so they would meet in the evenings and, uh, and eat, eat with one another, and they would talk over the scriptures and uh, ask deep heart uh, questions and press and challenge each other's lives. And in the process of this happening, Uh, eventually the people in the Clapham sect said to themselves, slavery seems out of line with what we see in the scriptures. Uh, William, you're in parliament. You've got to do something about that. Uh, And so they uh, they rally their resources together and they help encourage William to ensure that slavery gets abolished. Uh, They looked at their prison systems, and and as they were meeting with one another and pressing the scriptures into one another's lives, they they said, there's there's things wrong with our prison system. This is not really designed to help help, uh, people get better. It it is causing them to get worse. And 
Uh, and, and, and so they said to themselves, what, what are we going to do about it? And so they gathered their resources together uh, and they began to send Bible tracts and Bibles and scripture references and uh, different tools into the biblical tools into the prison system. And uh, they looked at their school system and said, something's off with our school system. Our students aren't being invested in in the way that they ought to be invested in. And, and so they, they looked to certain people within the Clapham sect and they gathered their resources together and they restored the school system. They they looked at their churches and in this particular time uh, in that particular community, whenever there was a church that was vacant, somebody could uh, purchase the rights to that church. And in essence, what the Clapham sect did is said, uh, we want gospel preaching, uh, Bible believing pastors in those churches. And so they would claim the rights to those churches if there ever was a vacant church and they would put a Bible believing gospel preaching preacher in those churches. As a matter of fact, uh, if you've ever purchased a pet from the uh, Humane Society, what uh, what you may not know is that the Clapham sect uh, is the group that actually started the Humane Society in order to treat animals in the community with dignity. And so uh, here's the picture. A group of people meeting over the course of their lives, pressing the scriptures, pressing the gospel into each other's lives. Here's what their lives look like 70 years 80 years into their lives, they're sitting around those dining room tables, eating, pressing the scriptures back into each other's lives, and they say, look what we've done. There's been prison reform, education reform. Churches have gospel preaching pastors in them. We have significantly impacted the world. Things are different because a group of followers of Jesus pressed the gospel into each other's lives over the course of time. As we get ready to come to our passage this morning and as we begin to talk about community and discipleship, one of the things that sort of lifts itself off of the pages uh, in our particular passage is that we get to see the original Clapham sect, a group of people gathering together, uh, eating together, living with one another, pressing the scriptures into one another's lives, and in turn changing the trajectory of history. Uh, This morning, I want to preach from the subject, Better Together. Better Together. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness. We thank you for the opportunity uh, to gather together today and, uh, God, to hear about who you are in our lives, what you're doing in our lives. and, uh, And, God, we recognize that today is Valentine's Day. And so for many of us who are stuck in the house, maybe we don't have a Valentine today. I pray that anybody who doesn't have a Valentine today would experience the 
uh, essence of what the Valentine points to, uh, which is your love, which is your approval, which is our belovedness through our connection to Jesus. Uh, And so we pray to that end, God, would you open our eyes to see magnificent things that are in your word? It's to that end that I am available to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. So as we get ready to come to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, essentially what has uh, taken place is the uh, Holy Spirit has been promised by Jesus to his followers after Jesus' ascension into heaven. And in essence, these people are all gathered together at the celebration of Pentecost there in Jerusalem. And there's people from all over the world who are here in Pentecost at Jerusalem to celebrate this. And essentially, the Holy Spirit comes down on these people. The Apostle Peter gets up and preaches the baddest sermon in all of preaching history, right? And 3,000 people come to faith Uh, in Jesus Christ. And now they are gathering together. They're uh, reading the scriptures together. The the Bible says that they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and uh, they devoted themselves to uh, to the fellowship. And uh, and what you need to hear there when, when it comes to this idea of fellowship, it's it's the idea of of kicking it. They They devoted themselves to hanging out. Uh, they, 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 they devoted themselves to spending time with, with one another and, and to breaking uh, of bread and to prayer. And so they, they ate meals together. They, they sat around each other's dinner tables. And, uh, and in essence, the Holy Spirit was doing an incredible work in this community. They, they were selling their possessions, the scripture says, and uh, they gave to anyone who was in need, and, uh, and they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all, uh, all the people. Uh, this, this is a, a, a picture of uh, what it looks like, even as people would say that the book of Acts, and I, I do agree with this, that the book of Acts is descriptive and not prescriptive. In other words, it is a recording, the book of Acts is, of the events of the early church and the Holy Spirit in the early church. What we get to see here, uh, in essence, is the spotlight of a flourishing community, a group of people centered on Jesus who, uh, whose lives are flourishing in light of being connected with one another. As a matter of fact, this is what causes uh, scholar, New Testament scholar D.J. Peterson, uh, who would write about this picture that we see in Acts chapter 2. He says, Acts 2 finishes with a portrait of the first Christian church, suggesting that the gift of the Spirit brought about a community which realized the highest aspirations of human longing, unity, peace, joy, and the praise of God. This is a community which realized the highest aspirations of human longing. Unity, peace, joy, in the praise of God. I would argue with you this morning that what we see in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, as D.G. Peterson has said, is the deep longing of every human being. 
We, we have this inherent need to connect with one another, to be in relationship with one another. As a matter of fact, I, I would say that this pandemic has highlighted our need for connection and community, our, our longing for, for relationship when we're not able to actually have it. Uh, and, and so we have this deep desire for connection and uh, and for community and, and relationship, as uh, D.G. Peterson says, the highest aspiration of human longing is unity, peace, joy, and the praise of God. And this group of people in Acts chapter 2 have experienced it. We long for this. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, rarely in life do we experience anything remotely close to this kind of Experience and, and it begs the question, right? It begs the question, why don't we have this regular experience? Why are, are we constantly in spaces uh, where we don't feel deeply connected in relationship to other people? But w- what is the baseline reason for why we don't experience the deepest longing of our human desire? I I would argue with you that the reason why we don't experience this deep longing of connection and relationship with others is because we have uh, a central value in American society known as individualism or uh, independence, right? We we so value individualism that we, uh, we actually risk the opportunity for relationship and connection. It is it is a foundational principle that all of us ascribe to uh, that actually permeates the fabric of our society and culture. Uh, and uh, so you don't believe me? Let me go ahead and call the receipts. If we were to just look at pop culture and you were to look at different things uh, around the, uh, the United States and different things that have popped up throughout our society and you just look at something like music, and we love uh, the song by Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way, right? I, I did it, I did it my way. We, we value our, our own individual autonomy to make decisions for how uh, our trajectory of our lives are going to go. We, we want to do it our way, and uh, if we were to look at a more modern contemporary expression of that. We uh, celebrate the Rick Rosses of, of, of the world who claim to be a self-made millionaire. It's all about being self-made, right? Or uh, we could just go a little bit further and look into our early 2000s, late 90s sort of uh, pop culture in the R&B world and look at Destiny's Child who once said, uh, I depend on me. I depend on me. All the honeys making money. Throw your hands up at me. All the honeys popping dollars, something like that. Throw your hands up at me. I depend on me. That's sort of a joke, but you get where I'm going with this. Woven into the fabric of American society is this need to have individual autonomy. It's the reason why you go to the grocery store and there's 9,000 different versions of cereal. 
so that you in your own individual desires can make a decision for you that's distinct from others. It's, it's the reason why we say things like uh, God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. Your uncle, your auntie may have told you that, but that, that ain't in the Bible. That, that's the reason why, why we say things and we value things like pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Right? It is something that is woven into the fabric of our society and, uh, and it, it fights against, it presses against, it pushes against this deep longing the highest aspiration of human longing, unity, peace, joy, and praise of God. It fights against our intrinsic need for a relationship. But why do we have this need? Why, why do we have this desire for connection? And, and why is it so strong? And why, why have we, in the midst of not being able to experience the kind of connection that we're used to, why is it so hard in the middle of this pandemic to, uh, to just be alone? Genesis 1 and 26, uh, you know, I I could argue this to you through sociological means, or I could argue this uh, to you through psychological means, but I want to look at it uh, from a a theological means. Genesis 1 and 26, uh, it, it says this, and the words will come up on the screen. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So here uh, in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible tells us that God speaks. And uh, in the inauguration of creation, God simply opens his mouth and things come into existence. Where there was darkness, now there is light. And God speaks and oceans come into existence. He speaks and the sky comes into existence. He speaks and grass and vegetation cover the earth. He speaks and animals and fish go into the sea. So he he creates everything and he says everything that he created is good. And yet when it comes to human beings, he does something distinct. He, he, he does something special. He He does something unique. He says, let us make man in our image. You see, the the rest of creation is designed and created by God, but it's not designed and created in the image of God. And one of the interesting things that you'll notice at Genesis 1 and 26, as they've translated the beginning portions from the Hebrew into English, is that there's a plural form of language talking about God. And one of the uh, intrinsic sort of foundational understandings of Christianity uh, is that God, the one that we worship as revealed in Scripture, has existed from eternity past as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons and yet one God. And so if you can just come go with me for a moment, imagine if you and I are created by a God who is three dis- distinct persons and yet one God, 
Uh, We're created in his image. What God has been doing from eternity past has been giving and receiving love within himself in community with himself. Then he creates human beings in his image. If God created us in his image and if God exists within community within himself, That's the reason why I think we have this deep longing for connection and community with other people. It's because we're created in the image of God. We are made for relationship. We are made for connection. We are made for those things. So if I were to just describe to you some of the most pivotal moments in my life, what you would quickly realize is that the most pivotal moments in my life are directly connected to a community of people that I was connected to. As a matter of fact, if uh, I were to tell you the story of mine and Pastor Derek's relationship, what uh, you would realize is that over the course of time, as we've been in relationship with one another, as Uh, He has stirred me up and pressed into me uh, about the importance of loving and following Jesus. And as I have stirred him up in that same way, uh, it's been in the process of that relationship that some of the most pivotal relationships in my life uh, are were formed. Really, I remember Pastor Derek called me uh, while he had just moved to Memphis, Tennessee and brought Little Ramaya, and, uh, and, and that was all they, it was just Kaylee Ramaya and Pastor Derek. And, uh, and so they, they had just up and moved from Indianapolis to, uh, to Memphis, Tennessee. And I said, man, you crazy. And Pastor Derek just called me over and over and over again and said, man, you need to come down here. There's a group of guys here who are training uh, to lead multi-ethnic churches. And, uh, and I didn't know any of these people. The only people I knew were Uh, was Pastor Derek and his wife Kaylee. And so I came down and I visited this church called Fellowship Memphis. And I I walked into the worship gathering and literally it was as though heaven had come to earth. And it was the most beautiful thing that I had ever seen. And so I I moved to Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm just plugged into this small group uh, of a residency. And I I meet this guy, Trevor Jenkins, and I, I meet this guy, Will Russell. And I meet this guy named Brandon Woodard and uh, uh, Ricky Jenkins. I meet this host of of guys, Chris Davis. And over the course of the next three years, I I didn't know these people prior to having moved to Memphis. I'm just plugged into this small group with this group of men. And over the course of time, we're pressing into one another's lives. And what I began to realize as I look back at my life, is that in the process of being in relationship with those men, being in community with those men, the trajectory of my life had changed. I had gone from being a junior college associate's degree graduate to dreaming dreams of going to prestigious grad schools. I had had gone from... Uh, being a, a, a guy who wasn't sure if I could just, I just wanted to be in ministry. I felt called to ministry, but I didn't know what that meant or what that looked like to saying, no, we, we want to take over the city of Chicago for the glory of Jesus Christ. 
You see, it's in community and in relationship with the, when the trajectory of our lives, the, the pivotal moments of our lives are, are changed. It, it's, it's why Tim Keller would say this about community. He says, our primary social community makes us what we are at the deepest level. Our primary social community makes us what we are at our deepest level. And even as you've heard me talk about the importance of community, you talk about our intrinsic need for community, we've looked and seen the picture of the ideal sort of utopic uh, desire that we all have as, uh, as, uh, as our deepest longing of connection and community. Some of us may be saying to ourselves, yeah, but the reality is, man, I got my own thing with Jesus. It, it always happens. Nevertheless, I, I, I always share whenever somebody asks me what I do for a living, uh, I'll say, man, I, I'm actually I'm a pastor. Uh, I, I remember I was on vacation with a friend of mine and uh, my buddy's girlfriend asked me, uh, asked me what I did for a living. And I said, oh, oh, I'm a pastor. And oftentimes whenever this happens and I tell people my vocation, uh, eventually they get around if they were raised in a Christian home or raised in a Christian family or they went to church at a certain period of time over their lives, uh, they, they will try to make a connection with what I do uh, in pastoring. And, uh, and it's, it's all a, a really good thing. And, and, and they're trying to make this connection. And they, they say to me, well, I have my own thing with Jesus. You know, I, I got my own thing with Jesus. I, I don't need other people to have my own thing with Jesus, right? I got my own relationship. I got my own thing between me and Jesus. And the thing that we all have to ask ourselves, if, if that is the inclination of our heart, that I got my own thing with Jesus, all I need is me and Jesus. I don't need church. I don't need community. I don't need a small group. I don't need a prayer group. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, is our relationship with God flourishing if we just have our own thing with Jesus? And I think if you're honest with yourself, the reality is nobody who just has their own thing with Jesus' relationship with God is flourishing. Not flourishing. You see, the scriptures are written to communities of followers of Jesus. The scriptures can't even be understood rightly apart from communities of followers uh, of Jesus. There's over 59 one another passages in in the scriptures. It, It assumes that you and I are doing life with one another, that we are deeply interconnected into one another's lives. It is a necessity for our own spiritual growth. And so we need each other. We are better together. It's in the process of that that we experience a deep connection to God and a deep connection with uh, with one another. And, and, and not only are we in need of community, but also uh, we're in need of discipleship. 
And oftentimes it's in that space of community that we can look to the person who's gone before us, the person who's a few years ahead of us, the person who has walked with Jesus longer and say to them, hey, I need you to pour into me. One of the misnomers of the Christian walk is that uh, we, we, we get into a community of followers of Jesus or we become a follower of Jesus. And the only thing for us to do is to get other people to become followers of Jesus. And yet that's not what God has called us to. The Great Commission says to go make disciples of every uh, nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, making disciples. Uh, it, it is to press into one another's lives in such a way that as we pour into one another's lives, our lives are distinctly different. And somebody, you're listening to me right now, and if you're honest with yourself, there's never been a moment in time where you were discipled. Never been a formal time when you pursued somebody in relationship and said, hey, I, I would like for you to pour into my life. And you say, man, I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time now. And yet, the truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus. There's always going to be a need for somebody who's ahead of you in life to pour into your life. One of the things that we do here at the church as a part of modeling what this looks like is that we have a, a residency program. So we got Michael Crespo and uh, Ramon Rivera and, uh, and Alia Deweese and, uh, and Pastor Derek and myself are pouring in uh, to these younger uh, ministers and saying, hey, here's, here's how we do it. Find your voice in the process of practicing. Find your voice in the process of us pouring into you and then you going out and doing the same. We do that because discipleship and community is a centerpiece of who we are as a community at Renewal Church of Chicago. And so the note that I want to press across this cocktail table to you this morning, you and I know that we need relationship, we need community, we need connection. And this pandemic has created a space where it's just like, man, I, I'm just doing my own thing with God. I'm just doing my own thing with Jesus. And I can confess to you, there are days when I don't want to get on the small group call and I don't feel like, man, I, I, but I never leave the small group call saying, I wish I hadn't have done that. Right? Never do. It's because even if it's not top of mind, even if it's not on my conscious mind, there's something that's happening in my soul as I connect with other people around the person and work of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that you and I need to do is if we're a part of a small group, we need to be going to the person who's ahead of us and saying, hey, even if it's not just on this call, I need you to pour into me in some shape, way, or form. I need to get uh, virtual coffee with you, and we need to talk about life. I, 
I, I know that, uh, that there's a pandemic, but would you make time for me? For some of us, you've listened to me, and the reality is you need to get into a small group. And for others of us, man, we have, we have close connections and relationships with other people who are followers of Jesus, and to be thrown into a small group community and, and, uh, and have to make new friends and uh, and w- w- with people maybe who are, are different than us or people that we haven't spent any time with previously, we, we may be saying to ourselves, man, that, that's, that's difficult. I already got enough friends. And the thing that I want to challenge you with is that even in your approach to that process, there's a consumer mentality that comes with it. Because the reality is that God has given you certain gifts to press into the rest of the body of Christ. And if you're willing to withhold those gifts just because you already have other friends. Well, church is just something for you to take in and not for you to give back. Now, I want to challenge you. The ministry of the gospel in this community of faith calls each and every one of us to the place of asking the question, what can I give? Not just what can I receive. Not what can I, what can I give, not just what I can take. And you see, the beauty of the gospel storyline for you and me wherever we may be, is that the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for people who didn't have uh, everything in common with him. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that we were enemies of God. And and the beauty of the gospel storyline is that because Jesus died not for people he uh, could relate to, but to people who he had nothing in common with, other than the human experience. It empowers and enables you and I to commit to building deep, heart-level relationships with people who are different than us. It's, It's through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through his perfect life, through his sacrificial death, through his bodily resurrection, that we can step into community with one another and say, what can I give? And hopefully on the other end, having done that over the course of our lives, we'll look around at the Clapham sect and look at our communities, look at our neighborhoods, look at our society and say things are different because a group of followers of Jesus devoted themselves to pressing into one another's lives and relationships because we're better together. God bless you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness. We thank you, God, for making us in your image and how that reflects into our day-to-day lives, our need for relationship. I pray for that person who's lonely right now, uh, who doesn't have connection with other people. God, I I I pray that you would stir their affections for Christ. I pray that you would give them courage to reach out, to get connected to a small group. I pray that in in the process of 
of the awkwardness of meeting new people over Zoom and all of that different stuff that you would give them special grace to recognize the importance of it. And God, remind us that despite whether or not we may have deep heart-level relationships with other followers of Jesus, there's somebody who's new to the city who doesn't. There's somebody that through our connection with them in community, the trajectory of their lives is going to be changed because we didn't say, I don't get anything out of this. But we said to ourselves, what can I give into this? How can I serve my brother, my sister? God, and so help us today in the midst of wherever we're at to press into each other's lives for your glory and our good. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 930 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.